0: Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Maps Weekly Look at All Things Houston Bars and Restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map Food Editor Eric Sandler. I have Jason Cho from Dakin and Bop and Tom and Tom's Galleria coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She is a beverage consultant who has worked on the cocktail programs for a number of successful Houston bars and restaurants. She's also a representative for liquid alchemist, a craft uh, syrup company. Linda Salinas, welcome back to the show. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm good. What a, what a long, lengthy, little ditty I've got of a, a little name that I got.
0: <laughs> you're, you're an accomplished human. You've, you've done quite a bit in this town.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks for all that.
0: <laughs> all right. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Food Network star Guy Fieri was in town a couple weekends ago. He filmed potential future segments for diners, drive-ins, and dives at six Houston restaurants, including Be More Pacific, Fresco Cafe Italiano, The Pit Room, Toasted Coconut, Traveler's Table, and Weights and Measures. Linda, that's kind of a mouthful, but what do you think about where Guy Fieri went? And are there any restaurants that you are particularly excited about seeing on television?
1: It just seems really interesting that diners what is it? Diners?
0: Diners, drive-ins, and dives. It's a very famous television show.
1: I understand that, but how does it, how is the set of Traveler's Table in yeah, that? It, what's going on here?
0: Well, they, they fudge the, you know, they're basically independent restaurants, right? I
1: mean, I understand that. But they what have that I'm reputation
0: saying, for being kind of mom and pops.
1: Yeah. Mom and pop, right? So mom and pop, but diners, drives, in whatever,
0: dives. whatever.
1: Yeah, dives. Triple D. Yeah, triple D. Come on, don't get crazy. Um, like some of those things fit the bill, but where what about Tacos Tierra Caliente? I, I mean, like, are we missing something? What's happening here? I mean, traveler's table is a nice restaurant,
0: it really like, is.
1: It is a really fancy, nice restaurant. How does that fit the bill?
0: Yeah, I, the process of selecting the restaurants is opaque to me because Food Network won't even acknowledge that these filmings actually happened.
1: Yeah, I just, I don't know. This just seems really weird. I mean, look, Pit Room, one
0: Yeah.
1: You know? Toasted yeah. Coconut it,
0: are your people. You love Oh, yeah,
1: th- yeah, absolutely. Those are my people, you know? Um, toasted Coconut. Um, what else is on that list?
0: Be More Pacific.
1: Be More Pacific is cool, I guess. You know, Weights and measures. I, those are my people as well. Can
0: I, can I tell you who I'm really excited for? Okay. All right. Is Fresco Cafe Italiano. Cause like it. that is that it's a BYOB Italian restaurant on the 59 feeder road near like Buffalo Speedway.
1: In a strip mall.
0: In a strip mall with a chef who is an Italian immigrant who, who yeah. immigrated here as an adult. So his English is uh, touchy, you know, it, it's, it's a little spotty.
1: But his he food makes, is fire.
0: Yeah. And it's a BYOB joint. And so all of like our Samoyer friends are into it. All of our like hardcore Italian friends are into it. And it's gotten a, it got a little press here and there when it opened. Yeah. But it's not in the mix, right? They don't have a publicist shouting from the rooftops about, you got to go to Fresco Cafe Italiano all the time. Yeah. Like being on TV is going to change this guy's life, right? Because it's mean- going to go from kind of an underground secret thing to the whole world is going to know about it.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I just think it's, I think it's interesting. And um, uh, I do, I do. I mean, I, I like all of those people it just feel, it feels like they're, they kind of missed our little dives our, our you know, our, our little, well, horse, you know, did
0: you see that he did that guy Fieri, not for filming, but just like on his own showed up at Lola's.
1: And hung out with the people at Lola's. That's so funny. No, I didn't know that. No, I wasn't following. I was not following. Sorry. I was living my best life.
0: Well, there was a whole bunch of, as it turns out, I knew a couple of people who happened to be at Lola's that night. And, you know, they're sending me pictures of Guy Fieri, like hanging out with, hanging out with the people. They're like, what are you doing here? And the, the, quoting them, the response was, well, it says dives. Like I have to go to at least (laughs) one dive.
1: That's great. That's great. That's a, that's, a, that's a nice little finishing touch.
0: Yes. All right. Let us move on to topic number two. The Texas legislature has approved the bill that will make alcohol to go from restaurants permanent. Let us, let me, yeah, this is a big deal, right? I mean, it, it's still awaiting Governor Abbott's signature, but he has said all along that he will sign this and it passed the Senate 30 to one. So this is not the sort of thing that's, that's going to get vetoed. Uh, talk to me just a little bit about what you're sort of hearing from people and how they're incorporating this into their business plans going forward.
1: I mean, I think that we've gotten very little to no help from the state of Texas for small bit, small bar owners. And so, you know, I mean, people are still still getting COVID. People are still going out. So I think this is a really good option. Um, for doing pickups. I know Two-Headed Dog has a really, really great to-go program. Uh, just a, a, a se- several bars that, that are still wanting to do, you know, Anvil is still doing bottled cocktails. And so I think that uh, it's a really good push for, for, for restaurants and bars in, in general.
0: You know, I, I mean, we were both at the Julep Derby Day party On Saturday, and they featured their, I think they're calling it Ready to Drink, right? Is their pop-up to go cocktail shop. Oh, yeah. And it's it's just fully stocked with, and Alba talked about this on the podcast last week, it's fully stocked with bottled cocktails that you could take home or to a party or whatever.
1: Yeah, and they're shelf-stable, and you keep them in your refrigerator, and you want to beloved passion fruit cosmopolitan or one of their signatures which is like cherry John
0: sour or the yeah
1: yeah yeah or one of their uh sazeracs or a manhattan or you know any any one of those things like i mean that little shop is a stunner
0: yeah and you can get glassware and tools and cocktail books it's it's impressive and it's only possible because of this legislation
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I can't wait to try more of that stuff. And I mean, how many times do you go to a party and you're like, I want to I want to bring something to drink and you're pulling all these bottles and you're having to make cocktails? Nope, ready to go from Alba Huerta. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then
0: just briefly, I know Chris Shepard talked about that being part of the appeal of putting Georgia James Tavern in the market square tower Mm -hmm. because they can sell cocktail packages to go to the residents. Like if they want to hang out in the pool room or at the pool or while they're watching a football game or whatever, you know, you can get food and drinks delivered to any, anywhere in the building and that helps the revenue number, right? It makes it, it makes the business case a little more logical. So I think we're going to see more and more of this, I guess, is the is the long way of getting to my my main point.
1: OK. OK.
0: Topic number three. Van Leeuwen ice cream opens in Rice Village on Saturday. This is the old Susie cake space around the corner from Shake Shack on Saturday. They'll be selling scoops for a dollar. Linda, this is a, a pretty acclaimed Brooklyn based ice cream shop. Have you had Van Leeuwen ice cream?
1: I mean, no, I haven't, but is this hipster ice cream?
0: Well, they have almost <laughs> as many vegan flavors as dairy flavors. So maybe they have dairy traditional, like made with, as, as they describe it, lots of egg yolks, lots of sugar or lots of okay. cream rather. They have, they have regular ice cream for people who want dairy, but they have almost as many vegan flavors as dairy flavors because they want people who don't eat dairy to have good choices.
1: Okay. All right. Well, I would like to check them out. You know how I am about just people coming into our beloved state of Texas and just saying that they're shabing, bang, whatever. No, let me tell you, we'll figure out whether or not it's good.
0: We we definitely will. I, I will say I had the opportunity to taste through a whole bunch of flavors with their co-founder and CEO last week. We had a really good chat about ice cream and the way they do business and and all that stuff. So I like the ice cream. I'm excited that they're here. I think people are going to be into this. That's my, my prediction. All right. All right. Linda, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. (laughs) Linda, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about a couple of new places. Let's start with Tonight and Tomorrow. This is the new restaurant at La Column Door, which just underwent like a $10 million renovation alongside the 30 something story luxury apartment tower that uh, was built on their property. Uh, tell me about kind of what your impressions were of Tonight and Tomorrow. You know, maybe from like a interior design service perspective, and then we'll talk about the food.
1: Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you. That property is a stunner. Yeah. It is absolutely luxe, you know, luxurious, like really beautiful detailing. I don't know who they used. The artwork. I mean, he, the owner.
0: Steve Zimmerman.
1: Steve Zimmerman spoke about the the artwork and we didn't even get to see the back patio they're supposed to have like a garden like oasis so you can sit and have cocktails and in the middle of Montrose let's yeah. party! yeah no it was it was honestly like I mean I love me some champagne and I love me some little fancy you know snacks and that's definitely what these guys do
0: Uh, Chris Fleischman's general manager. We know him from, he was at Pax Americana. He opened Riel. He was at the Zaza for a little while. Um, Certainly someone who's like got that kind of Danny Meyer style EQ, you know, hospitality gene, really tasty cocktail menu. And you're right. I mean, the space is beautiful. Steve sat with us for a while and talked about how he's been collecting art for, you know, 40 something years. And so, a lot of it's on the walls. Some of it's in the garden. Some of it's in the apartment tower. Some of it's in storage, and will get rotated in and out. I mean, it's it's an impressive undertaking. It's you know, it's a generational asset. You know, he just became a grandfather because his son Dan just had a child, and and I think you know this is uh, something that's going to be in their family, obviously, for a really long time.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, I thought it was really cool that he was telling us about the artist in it was like an artist program. And so they're going to have people coming from other uh, it's resident uh, artist in resident. So they're going to be putting up some artists with in loops with, with the museum, uh, the museum district. And so I think that that's really cool because they're really, really big into supporting arts as well. And so if they can have an artist coming from, you know, France or wherever, wherever um, and, you know, basically supporting that artist and giving them a room and having somewhere to stay and then being so close to the museum. I think that that's really like culturally is, I think it's bigger than just, you know, food and drink, which I think is fantastic. Right.
0: And then the idea is that in exchange, the artist will leave a a work that will become part of the hotel's collection.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: So talk to me about food. I mean, we had had a, a few different delicious snacks. We had their pimento cheese. We had... Uh, Vadovan carrots. We had crab rabbit Goat. Ooh. I had a very delicious lamb chop, and you had oh, that snapper dish on the vermicelli noodles with the herbs.
1: Yeah, I mean everything was really fantastic. The all, my only, my only, you know, just coming from like old fine dining, it's like there's too many noodles, you know.
0: Oh, with the snapper, yeah. The
1: snapper, yeah. There's just like a little bit too many noodles, you know. Like it's just, it's just too much. But I mean overall but, but the
0: snapper, but that but that snapper was beautifully cooked. Yeah. It's so bright with the the herbs and that uh vinaigrette that they serve it with. I mean, that was a really tasty dish.
1: Yeah, no, everything, everything that they everything came out was really, really fantastic. I am kind of tired of seeing pimento cheese on menus. You know, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Yeah. You know, but I'm a sucker for pickles, so I was like, it's fine. This'll do. And
0: that crab ravagode has been on the the column door menu for probably longer than I've been alive,
1: but you know what's crazy? And it's is delicious.
0: It's, I mean, it's so freaking delicious.
1: It's so good. It's very simple. But you know what? What, what I think is crazy is is that I've never really known column door as a spot to go eat and drink. It's always been like, oh, it's somebody's somebody's uh, wedding or it's like whatever. i have never just like, ooh, let's go. And they were busy. They were so freaking busy.
0: Yeah, on a Tuesday. I think was the when we went, and I, even sort of beyond that. I think the new design, just being such a beautiful space, I've I've seen people on my timeline, you know, pop in there for cocktails late at night or whatever on a Friday or Saturday, and I yeah. I like that it's becoming kind of that, you know, certainly a date night destination or like any kind of special occasion you know, you could have dinner at one place and then finish, start or finish with drinks at tonight and tomorrow and just kind of enjoy that space. I, I see that as like a real amenity for the neighborhood.
1: Yeah, no, and you can have people come and confuse you for other publications while you're having dinner.
0: <laughs> or or the woman who looked at me and asked if I was Matt Marcus. I mean, you know, it was, <laughs> it was a wild night.
1: It really was. We had people, someone thought that Eric Sandler still worked for eater.
0: Right. I've worked oh for for goodness. the record, I've worked for culture map for eight years. So, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, buddy, and you trying to sit down with us? You don't even know who this man is. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't know who I was either. That's fine. You don't know me. That's okay.
0: <laughs> right. Maybe you should ask someone. All right. Let us also, in addition to tonight and tomorrow, I want to talk to you about Space Cowboy. This is the new restaurant at the Heights House Hotel. I had Lyle Bento and Greg Perez on the show a couple of weeks ago to talk about, uh, this concept, but I had the chance to eat there a little kind of pre-opening tasting. I know you've been there at least once or twice. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about what Lyle's doing at space cowboy?
1: Man, I, I, it's, it's really good bar food. It's really, really good bar food. You know, lots of snacks, lots of little small bites. Um, I mean, man, I want to go there tonight. Um, the space is, is, I mean, it's a really nice, cute little patio. Yeah, the, the space room- is
0: super fun. Very yeah, beachy, very chill. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, I like the fact that during the week, they have the room rates kind of affordable. So just a little staycation is cool. And they're just, it's just a cool nice little vibe. The only, the only real problem that I'm seeing right now in all of these spaces all of these spaces from fine dining to patio bars, to everything, everyone is just understaffed. Yeah. Everyone is understaffed and everybody wants to go out. I did like the fact that, that Steve Zimmerman told us, he's like, I don't, I would much rather hold the door, you know, basically hold the door and not pack to the gills and then have a bad, a bad time. They're
0: going to limit capacity until they're fully staffed. And, yeah. and he's really choosy about who works in that building again, because like he said, they're not in this for a year, or three years, like they're in this for generations. So they want people to have a good experience. Um, I do want to just come back to Space Cowboy real quick. Cause I was That's really good. impressed by kind of how light and bright Lyle's food was. Cause I think of him from Southern goods, as kind of, you know, big, heavy stuff. And I've had that really delicious uh, oka, the Filipino-style ceviche with the coconut cream. Yeah. And the Japanese-style grilled octopus salad and yeah. the ahi tuna poke on the gem lettuce. I mean, like, you can have the greasy cheeseburger. You can have the pork cracklings, but you don't have to. Yeah. And I, I was really impressed.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, it just goes to kind of flexibility that, that uh, Lyle has. And the cocktails are good, and there really isn't a cocktail spot on that side of the that side of the freeway. You think about it, you know, you've got Dean, you've got the little uh, beer shop down the way. You know, there there isn't much around there, and there's so many like great like little houses and neighborhoods and so on and so forth. So I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it'll it'll do very well, and I'm and I'm glad that they're they're starting to find their little niche in market.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's far enough like Lalo is such like a specific experience and they're like the best at what they do, but it's a very specific experience. And Johnny's Goldbrick is far enough away that yeah, I think Space Cowboy can do cool cocktails and fun food like in its own little niche. And I, I think yeah. I think it's gonna be a destinational summer.
1: Well, and you know, and that's what one of the things that I keep uh, you know, we we're we're watching you know, because of COVID and because of how bars are, are, are really starting to manage their own businesses. You have to put an emphasis on your food. If you have a good cocktail program, woohoo. Great. Everybody makes cocktails. People want snacks. If you have delicious snacks and your drinks are good, you're good. You know, your money, you know, but you need it. You need it. If you really want to, I mean, the guys over at Drift, it's a big old monster Chad bar, but those guys always have food, you know? And so I like snacks. Chad's needs snacks. You need snacks. You know, everyone needs snacks.
0: We all love snacks. <laughs>
1: all
0: right, Linda. Uh, I think that does it for our restaurants of the week. Thank you very much.
1: Brad. Well, thanks for having
0: me. Yeah. And I will be right back with Jason Chow. I am joined this week by Jason Cho. He is the proprietor of Dak and & Bop and also the new Tom & Toms that opened in the Galleria area. Jason, welcome to the show. How are you? Hello, Eric. Uh, pleasure. And I'm doing fine. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for doing this. Yes, I like sir. to start these, uh, these interviews kind of at the beginning. So tell me kind of how you became interested in the restaurant business.
2: Uh, how much time do you have? You know, about <laughs> a half an hour
0: total for the interview. So, you
2: know,
0: um, give, me the, give me the give me the five minute version.
2: Yes, sir. So uh, my background, um, my dad came to Houston from Korea in the 70s. Uh, he was in the military and was an expert in martial arts and along with my uncle, which was his older brother. And so he came to Houston, opened up his first school. And it just went from there. And that was my background, was just growing up in a family business. And so uh, in 2004, I opened my first business, which was a a martial arts school as well. Uh, Within a couple of years, I opened my second. And um, during that time, uh, I have a younger sibling, sister. Uh, She had gotten married and moved to New York. She introduced me to Korean fried chicken which me being a Korean, I did not know what that was, if I'm being honest. And when I tried it, uh, I mean, I grew up eating like wings and things, Wingstop, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings, Hooters, like I was a wing lover. So when I had the Korean fried chicken style, I was uh, kind of blown away. But when I came back to Houston, I was a bit disappointed that I didn't see the same stuff here. And that's what got me kind of... uh, directed towards maybe doing that style of wings in Houston, in my home city. Uh, the motivating factor behind that was, I mentioned my father earlier, um, he you know, worked his whole life, you know, you know, just like most of the immigrants that come to America with the dream of providing for their family. And I really thought that maybe opening this kind of business would be something that I could uh, offer him as a way of retiring, and not having to work forever. And initially he told me I was uh, pretty stupid cause he's pretty blunt. He's like, you've never <laughs> even worked at a, he's like, you've never even worked at a restaurant before. Do you even know how to wash dishes? Cause you never do it at home. Uh, how can you actually open a restaurant? And me being uh, the overconfident, naive uh, kind of a go-getter. I was like, oh, you know, I'll do it. I'll figure it out away. Um, and so that's kind of how it all started. Unfortunately, when after I signed the loans and got approved and uh, signed the lease on the spot for my original Doc and Bob and before construction started, uh, or kind of like when construction was kind of launching, my dad passed away. So then I was kind of stuck in this position of like, okay, I'm doing this business for my dad so he can retire. He's not here anymore. I know this is going to be hard work. I really don't want to do this. But I was already in like an all-in situation at that point. And it's like, okay, I guess I'm doing this. And uh, just from that day forward, there was a lot of people, even the banks told me, they're like, how many chicken wings can you sell to pay back this loan? And, you know, I just told them, I was like, enough to pay back the loan at the minimum <laughs> is what I told them. <laughs>
0: right. I mean, it's like, you know, tell that, to, tell that to Wingstop. You know what I mean? Like, tell that to anybody.
2: Right. And the hesitancy was, you know, it was a bold move on my part, I suppose, because I was, there wasn't, much familiarity with that type of uh, cuisine in Houston and so when I told banks I got rejected so many times but when I told them hey you know doing Korean fried chicken I mean their first question is what is Korean fried chicken and then I mean I still have customers that come in to this day asking what is Korean fried chicken as opposed to American fried chicken or any other fried chicken so you know there's an unfamiliarity with uh, the cuisine but that's kind of uh, what's my motivating factor was you know me being a, a Korean American uh, I'm kind of driven and motivated to bring more awareness to Korean culture and Korean uh, cuisine, just the, just everything Korean. Uh, because I feel like in the city of Houston, when you compare it to LA or New York, or even as close as Dallas, uh, it's really underrepresented and it's, it's improved since, you know, my, when I opened Bob, but I still feel like there's a long ways to go. And that's why I get excited when, you know, you have other businesses even if it's a direct competition to me, which is like, you know, banchan or, you know, BBQ chicken or even any other Korean fried chicken chicken uh, thing out there or even Korean barbecue that's out there. Although it's competition to me, I feel like our city's big enough that we can support each other. And I actually get happy when I see these things popping up. It just means that Korean culture is uh, kind of growing because I feel like it's behind when compared to like Chinese and even Japanese and Vietnamese food in Houston. Uh, it has a ways to go to uh, catch up to them. So I feel like it's uh, improving and there's a lot of great options out there. And, you know, it's just going to, I hope it just continues to grow in that manner.
0: Right. I mean, you, you said a lot there and, and I just want to sort of back up. I mean, when you opened Dak and Bob, the only Korean fried chicken place in Houston that I knew about was the, um, the one in the, in the grocery store in H Mart.
2: Torreo, Hmart. mart yeah, thank you. And, and when I went there to eat, I was like, yeah, man, this is this is freaking good, but it's not the same. So it's kind of like, I guess, the best comparison I can give you is, is you know, I went to, if, if someone from New York goes to Palacitos or goes to, like, you know, Lorenzo's or one of these places, um, that kind of Mexican food, the text, or, like, that kind of uh, experience, you don't see it as much, let's say, in New York. Uh, or even LA or whatnot. It's a different, different region of Mexico or whatever, I guess. And so that's kind of how I felt about Korean fried chicken. I was like, okay, this style I am familiar with that they had over there in Korea, but they're doing something different in New York. They're doing something different in LA. There's this, uh, you know, whether it was Bonchon or these uh, kind of like uh, mom and pop shops, I'm like, they're doing a different style. There's a different texture, different flavor. Uh, I want to bring that to Houston. So that, I mean, that, that's kind of what drove me to do it. Uh, along with just not having many options available in that kind of uh, culinary scene.
0: Right. But I think it's a combination of good execution and good timing because Dak and Bob really took off. I mean, you, I, I'm sure you paid back those bank loans a lot quicker than the, the bankers ever thought you would.
2: Um, my body felt every single chicken wing I made in front of the fryer. Um, every single day <laughs> since I opened, I was actually like kind of, really pleasantly surprised when we had orders after orders after orders coming at that time i was just like wow you know if my dad was here i could really rub it in his face you know, that- <laughs> 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 it was crazy um and like that that kind of was what fueled me was there was a i mean along with the banks i mean there was a lot of restaurateurs among my friends and people that i didn't know they told me i'm making a big mistake Uh, They told me I was crazy. They told me, you know.
0: Right. They told you that location on bins wasn't any good. I mean, they told you, I'm sure they told you all kinds of stuff.
2: I heard, I did. The only nice thing I heard was, well, at least you're close to the zoo and children's museum. Outside of (laughs) there, nothing positive was uh, being told to me about Doc and Bob. And, you know, even the name Doc and Bob, I had like restaurateurs tell me that's a bad name. People don't know what it means. Um, You know, just I I had a lot of uh, a lot of people bringing me down and not encouraging. I mean, even within my families and stuff, you know, because obviously it comes from a good place because they have my interests in hand and everything. But, you know, I was just super, super motivated to just just prove everybody wrong, not to just, you know, rub it in their face, but more so to prove myself right. That, you know, if I have a dream and I go with my gut instinct, and I do what I think I believe in that hard work and execution and commitment should net a positive result. And the first doc definitely did. Um, it was, it was truly a blessing. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, wonderful people that, uh, came through and helped me and work with me and the customers were awesome. Um, it was just really, really awesome. Yeah. And I mean, it
0: had, I mean, in addition to the chicken being really good, I mean, you were smart. You had some kind of Mexican stuff for people who didn't want chicken necessarily. You had a fantastic selection of Japanese whiskey and not at crazy prices I mean, you had a good craft beer selection. You know, you, I think you kind of picked up on a lot of things that were sort of circulating in restaurant trends and put your own spin on it. And and I think that's just one of many reasons Dak and Bob sort of took off on for you.
2: Well, even like, so funny story is like my business plan for Dak about to the bank. I told them I wanted to create a place where a guy can go eat wings and watch the game and not be in trouble with their girlfriend they brought them. And so why the That right. way, uh, you know, where it's kind of like uh, rustic but modern, kind of has a different feel to it. And then that's why I have the cocktail program. So you have your guy there eating, crushing like 20 wings with their craft brew or their IPA, and then you got the girl there. Having like a, you know like light snacks or chicken bow or even maybe eating wings with them with a fancy martini or some kind of craft cocktail, and so I was trying to be as I was trying to be unique but also accessible simultaneously. And I think that that kind of concept, kind of um, that's why I took off because I, I touched different areas. It wasn't fine dining. It wasn't too casual. It was just kind of like a nice blend at the end of the day.
0: Right. So I mean, you you kind of built this whole model and then. You opened a second location uh, near the Heights, Lazy Brook Timber Grove, like right before restaurants started shutting down for the pandemic. I guess sort of talk about because you you changed what you do, right? It's a it's a very different Dakinbop experience at the new location. You closed the original location, and you had to survive a year when, I mean, it was very challenging for restaurants all over the world. So. I say that's a, that's a long way of asking sort of talk about the new location and and kind of tell me how you've made it through the last year.
2: Sure. Uh, so one, uh, as far as making it, uh, I couldn't have made it without an understanding landlord. Um, you know, uh, that space I rent out is through Braun Enterprises and they have been more than accommodating. I mean, it's not like they're just letting me be there rent free or anything like that, but anytime I needed help or you know any kind of assistance? Uh, they've been more than accommodating, and I know I know they don't do that maybe with every single tenant. I think they did it with me because they believe in what I'm doing over there. They know they knew that once things blow over and kind of settle down, that you know I would be able to survive. And uh, it was more of a trust and commitment that they're giving to me that I really appreciated on their end. Um, as far as the new cost for the Bob, so the space used to be a pizza hut and so i wanted to do korean italian cuisine because i you know the first time i did dr bob there, there weren't too many of the korean mexican cuisine out there now there's a lot of. but then i was like okay let's try something different this time because at the time i had i had full intentions of keeping both open simultaneously so i didn't have i didn't want to have two of the same exact restaurant uh, open so i'd like to kind of be creative whenever i can, whenever the chance is uh, given and so i did the korean italian my first location wasn't very chef driven. So I was like, okay, second one, let's be more chef driven. Uh, let's be a little bit more elevated, but still at uh, somewhat of a neighborhood price. Um, the first location was more of a, even though it was a sit down restaurant had more fast casual feel second location. I was like, okay, let's go a little bit different. Let's go, not fine dining obviously, but let's go a little bit kind of, uh, it's casual, but just a little bit more elevated experience. So that's what kind of, um, Steered me towards the way I did the decor of the place. Um, as far as the menu, it's kind of uh, had more of a flair to it in regard to presentation. It was a little bit more elevated, in my opinion. Uh, but still, you know, I, I was, in my head, I was like, the foundation is chicken, so that's still going to be there. And so let's do a little bit more spins and uh, interesting things outside of the chicken. And uh, that was my approach with it. Now, unfortunately, I had to close the first and Bob now. And so that kind of hurt my business because I had a lot of customers they are like, hey, I want the old stuff back. I want you know, this, that, another back. And it was too, to be honest, it, the reason why I didn't bring it back to the second location is because I already established the first kind of uh, menu and the approach I was gonna go with the second and Bob. And it's really unfair to my chefs and my cooks and my front of house. To add on an additional whole restaurant menu to the existing location is just be too big of a menu. I already feel like my menu is pretty extensive as is. If I added what I did over there, it'd just be too much. And so I've been doing pop-ups at my Tom and Tom to do uh, some of the original Docamot menu. And even today, I am actually actively searching for another location for my first Mop concept. So it is still in my radar. It's just, you know, Gone but not forgotten. Yeah, it's, 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 it's in the back of my mind, and I do want to uh, launch that menu and that concept of Dr. Bob again. It, it, I understand it can be confusing. It's the same exact restaurant. And, <laughs> it's, all right. and it's the about. same chicken, which I think is the most important thing. Correct. The chicken is the same, um, if not better, because over the years I try to improve and improve and improve. Uh, so the base and foundation is still there. Uh, it's just the kind of the outside menu that changed here and there. But I am still looking for another location for that original uh, menu. So uh, those, those OG people out there, you know, just, I, I am trying, trying hard. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, but I do think you're doing some interesting stuff with the Italian influenced Korean food or the Korean influenced Italian food, I guess, depending on your, perspective i know david chang kind of tried that in in new york and it you know nishi is one of those restaurants that uh you know closed at the start of the pandemic and,
2: and won't be coming back but but i i get the feeling that like it's really catching on for you it is um that that location is a little bit tough because like you know the one on bins as much as people said it was not a great location in hindsight it was an excellent location because you know the accessibility to 288 and being near all the museums and hospitals uh zoo uh it was a great location my second location i picked it because i wanted a standalone mm-hmm. building i didn't want any neighbors and i wanted my own parking lot and uh you know i just thought that it was a great opportunity because it was presented to me um but yeah i mean it is catching on because everyone that comes they're typically blown away because they're getting something that they did not expect to get uh, they're like wow your garlic bread is out of, the, out of this world, your Brussels sprouts, oh my gosh, You know the loaded fries, and then of course the chicken. My issue has been because I opened during the pandemic and because I'm not in a high, heavy foot traffic area, I'm just not getting enough because people through the doors to expose them to uh, what we're doing over there because a lot of reviews will say, wow, what a hidden gem. And so they're like, man, you, you, you guys are the best restaurant nobody knows about. And then in my head, I'm like, you know, I went to business school. I know this is not a good thing, not being known.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Nobody wants to be the hidden gem. Everybody wants to be the super busy. Everybody wants to be stake 48, right? Right. Packed, packed all the time.
2: Exactly. Overexposed. Right. That's, that's the dream. Right. And for me, for me, like I truly feel like, you know, I feel like I'm getting what my staff can handle right now, to be honest. Like I would love to like double or triple or quadruple my business. But I know that that would be quite, burden and and like it would be really a lot of hardships to my staff right now so i'm looking more big picture i'm like i take it as a blessing that you know it's not like being like packed overly packed and things like that right now that it's it's like been a slow gradual growth uh, period and that i am able to be able to sustain the business and keep it uh open even though we're not as busy as i would like and uh it makes the quality of life of my staff a lot more better and manageable because they don't feel like they're getting you know just overwhelmed day after day after day i mean we do have our busy days and we are severely understaffed but i have such a great team where you know goes from my chefs to my management my servers all the way down to you know everybody else servers bartenders bussers everybody like everyone is working hard and uh, it's a it's a wonderful team i have and you know i know that once the business does pick up even more uh, that, you know, my, my team will be ready for it. So I'm, I'm not really um, too overly concerned with the, the, the amount of traffic that we're getting or foot traffic. Um, obviously I would like more, but you know, I, I will get what I get and I'll just make sure every that, that everyone that does come, that they have the best experience possible. Yeah. So
0: for people who are listening to this podcast and are now suddenly intrigued, what do you
2: recommend other than the garlic bread at Dak for a first time visitor? So I truly feel that at Doc and Bob, I have some of the most uh, creative minds in my kitchen and at my bar that, you know, people is, I feel like it's so underrated what we're doing over there uh, only, or, or just maybe just like not known well enough. So I feel like, okay, let's just give you an example. My kimchi burger seems it sound simple, right? Like it's a burger with kimchi, right? But we take it so many leaps and downs to a whole nother level. So, you know, the bun is made out of kimchi, it's house-made bun, it's a kimchi bun, uh, we have, the kimchi that we put on the kimchi burger is smoked kimchi, so it gives it that Texas twist to it, candied bacon, smashed patties, aged cheddar with a uh, spicy aioli comeback sauce, I mean, it's just, we, the gochujang we use is candied, which you won't really find at most traditional Korean restaurants, um, it's just, uh, I mean, that would be one. The other one is uh, my French dip. It's an Asian-influenced French dip. We've been, that's one of my best sellers. Uh, the, we use thinly sliced marinated beef, which is bulgogi that we use in my mom's uh, bulgogi marinade sauce. So I always tell customers, hey, how do you like the bulgogi? I was like, oh, by the way, before you answer, it's my mom's recipe, first, so can you just say yes? But if you I stand behind it, um, I, I feel like it's, it's great. Uh, the Aju that we do, that we use is, is it takes several days to get to that uh, level of flavor of umami um, it's I'm just really proud of what we're doing over there. And wh- whether a hundred people know a thousand or a million people know, I just know that when people leave, if we, if we, if my staff and myself do the job that we're capable of doing, they'll leave thinking it's one of the best experiences they have had in Houston. Um, but yeah, the handhelds, all of them are really great. Um, our loaded fries, whether it's soul fries or our take on a poutine, um, is really great. And uh, our, my little secret weapon is actually our dessert program. I didn't have many desserts at original and bop and so that I feel like we have a very interesting dessert program that we have rotating desserts uh, that we sell. One of our best sellers is my. Uh, Vietnamese coffee, Cafe Sudah Panna Cotta. So that's a, a really good seller that people s- seem to really like uh, that sells very well.
0: And then a few months ago, you opened Tom and Tom's, which is a South Korean coffee shop in a Galleria area office building. And, and I suppose I should say, just to be specific, it's, it's the same building that the Culture Map office is in. So uh, I, I know all of my Gao Media coworkers very much appreciate having a coffee shop in the building maybe just kind of explain to people what sets Tom and Tom's apart from the, you know, chain coffee shops that they may be familiar with and, and kind of tell me how that's going so far Sure, as people kind of get back into
2: offices. Sure. Uh, I know you like to tell people that it's where the culture map is, but I usually tell people it's where the old Roxy was. And then I know if they're, you know, but, uh, uh, but yeah, as far as uh, Tom and Tom is concerned, um, I was a my, my uh, one of my family friends was uh, in charge of expanding the Tom and Tom brand in Texas. He reached out to me uh, as a favor, said, "Hey, uh, I know you're in the restaurant hospitality industry. Can you help me grow this brand? Uh, you know, you're you're a proven operator. I'd really like you uh, like you to be a part of it." And then I just like Doc and Bop and Chicken. I told my friend, "Hey, buddy, I don't know anything about coffee." And he's like, well, that didn't stop you from opening DACA, Bob. I was like, all right, you know, you're right. (laughs) Tell me more about it. And so uh, as far as Tom and Tom is concerned, uh, there's over 500 units across the world, uh, specifically in Asia. And like in Texas, we have, I believe it's myself, the one in Chinatown over in Bel Air Food Street. Uh, There's one in Dallas and Carrollton. And uh, there's more coming to Texas. But uh, what sets uh, Tom and Tom apart is, I. we get a lot of compliments on our bake, uh, bakery pastry program. So it's those, uh, loaded pretzels, uh, the loaded brick toast. Uh, they get, you know, rave reviews on the drink side. The coffee gets a lot of great reviews as far as the taste. They like the beans that we use. Um, as far as frozen drinks and Tomatino, they call it Tomatinos. Uh, our blenders are going nonstop. Uh, I, th- I believe it's the premium ingredients that we use. And when I say premium, I really mean premium because I'm paying a premium for them through franchise, corporate franchise. Um, I'm paying, I'm paying a good price for all these uh, different uh, ingredients that are required to be used, but the end result is a happy customer. They can, the, the ones that go to a lot of coffee shops, they taste the difference. Me being a novice in coffee, when I tasted the coffee, I'll be honest, I was like, it's, it's good, but I don't have that sophisticated palette to really take, uh, be able to tell a difference. However, uh, my management and those that are, uh, my friends that are coffee experts, they really did tell me that it's actually a very good brew. And so uh, as far as the community, they've been great. The only challenge has been that as you can you know confirm, uh, the building that we're in, it looks like it's still under construction. And the offices are not as packed. So I'm not getting really the volume that I would expect to get if we're not in the middle of COVID. On top of that, I, was, I had a delayed opening where I opened a year after my expected open date. So the expenses piled up. But again, uh, this was another spot that is uh, owned by Braun Enterprises. And they were, again, very accommodating to me uh, to help me, uh, be able to kind of survive the, the pandemic and have a chance to open and have a chance to uh, do well. But, uh, I've been very happy with the result of the products and what we're giving the level of service that my staff is doing is fantastic. And, uh, I just think that just like my second doc and Bob, this is just going to take a little time to grow where I think it should be. Uh, but, uh, I, I do have hope that it will do very well. I, I stand firmly behind the, the Tom and Tom products. And the company, and uh, I think, I think it will get to where I need it to be. Right, and
0: it would seem like that would be enough for anyone. But you're not done yet. You're you're opening Carné, a Korean uh, barbecue steakhouse concept, in the Heights. You had a pop up for Carné at Tom and Tom's this weekend. I, I stopped by and tried the Galbi steak I, with the truffle mashed potatoes. I thought it was really tasty, very promising. What, what is the status of Carnet? And yeah, let, let's start with that. Maybe kind of, when do you expect that to open?
2: Oh, always the awesome questions, Eric. No, I'm, I'm,
0: <laughs> I know it's a, it's, it's the, it's the most, it's the hardest one to answer. And the, the, the most
2: obvious to ask. Right, right, right. The goal is based on the status of construction and how it's going. We would love to be open sometime in the summer, uh, like July. Uh, sometime in quarter three if possible. Um, my, the chef of Carne, he's been in Houston since February overseeing the build-out uh, to make sure it progresses the way it needs to. This is just, it's just a massive project. I mean, it's 6,000 square feet, down draft system. Um, it's, it's just not... This is, this is as hard as my Doc and, Bob and tom tom openings were. This is times 10 as far as challenges and difficulties. But again, um, we're pushing hard, we're trying hard, we can make a million excuses, but you gotta, you know, when you're the boss or you're the owner, or you have people that depend on you, you can't, you can't say the excuses out loud. You just got to make it happen. And so probably I would say I'm, I'm hoping for July, July, where I'm in my hand, we're training and getting ready to open, you know, um it's a, it's a big project. And again, trying to bring something that Houston is lacking. Uh, there's a few restaurants that are similar, but I feel like what we're going to do over there will uh, be different enough where people are like, wow, you know, carne is a really interesting, great restaurant and different from these other uh, types of Korean barbecue or Korean steakhouses that are out there.
0: So sort of explain kind of the concept and kind of what you think will set you apart from some of the other Korean sure. uh Steakhouses in town,
2: right? So, uh, growing up in Houston, most of the Korean restaurants are kind of mom and pop shops, which is awesome. Um, Recently, we've had some that came up that are a little bit more uh, modern, a little bit more approachable. Uh, As far as carne is concerned, uh, my chef is from New York, and this is going to be a chef-driven Korean steakhouse. Which you find a lot in New York and in LA, but you don't find too many in Houston. So it's going right. to be. I mean, there's a
0: there's a very famous Korean steakhouse in in New York called Coat that's like been a has a Mission Beard nominee and a Mission Star. I mean, and we, that- it's safe to say we don't have anything quite
2: like that here in Houston. We don't, and I'm not saying that we're going to be exactly like them, but that's kind of the feel or that is the approach that we're trying to go to is I, I want to bring that to Houston. I could easily just open, you know, somewhere with much lower rents, a little bit smaller and just do a Korean barbecue place and then I call it a day and, you know, make money or whatever. But, you know, again, it's about bringing something different to my city, taking risks, to, you know, challenging myself, uh, kind of thinking outside the box and, kind of setting the trend if possible, you know, this is, this is, this project is three years in the, in the, in the making, you know, I signed the lease many, many, you know, I didn't sign the lease this year. This, I signed the lease a few years ago and I waited a year for the building to get built before I, before I started my own construction. And so this has been, you know, on my mind for well over three years. And so, um, you know, as far as the food, i have family friends that own traditional korean restaurants around houston i made them a promise when i opened dakobab i wouldn't do traditional korean food because they were kind of bitter towards me they're like hey man you know why are you doing this business so i'm, I'm sticking by that we're not doing tradi- when when you when we reveal the carne menu it, it will have traditional aspects but it's going to be uh, uh, a lot of uh texas inspired and just American inspired uh sides I mean, just like that's what we did, the pop-up the way we did. We had the traditional cut of of uh, the meat, which was the kalbi, but we served it over a bed of uh, truffle mashed potatoes. Uh, that's what customers can expect at our restaurant. You know, we will have our panchans available, which is uh, Korean for side dishes, but we're going to have American sides as well. And uh, it's it's definitely not being uh executed that way in any of the cream barbecue restaurants right now now after they listen to the podcast maybe it will start next week which is fine that's okay <laughs> but today uh what's today may 2nd or 3rd uh they're not yeah, may 3rd yeah may 3rd i don't know of any doing it right now
0: and that's what we're trying to do and then the, the one other thing i have to ask you about is your business partner at carne or one of them is mike chen who's the YouTube personality behind Strictly Dumpling and he's got his own channel combined over 5 million subscribers, which is just mind boggling to me. Sure. And, and and I'll say like, ever since I, you announced this a couple of years ago, I've been sort of following him on, on YouTube. He's, he's very compelling. Like I, I get why, to a certain extent I get why he's so popular because he's really good at it. But how did you sort of get involved with him or get connected to him and kind of what is he bringing to this project?
2: Yes sir. So um as far as Mike Chen is concerned the way I got connected with him was my other business partners for Carne uh they are very close friends with Mike and they do business with Mike as well. And so when Carne came about they're like this is just a natural fit and they just go hey, you know, can you uh can you just follow our lead and just believe us that Mike will be a valuable asset to, you know, as a brand ambassador for carne. Okay. Now me being, uh, I guess I'm the Asian boomer or something. I don't know, but I was just like, what is it? Mike? <laughs> right. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not just going to give away, you know, <laughs> my business to someone that is on the internet. I was like, I can be on the internet. What's the big deal. And then they're like, just look them up. He's like, it'll be worth it. This and that. And even after I looked him up, I was like, "Uh, because I'm just I'm just old fashioned, you know." I'm like, "What can he really do?" But then one day he came to Houston. And I went and ate different restaurants with him and saw all these people coming up to him. I was like, "Okay, either I'm getting set up, or you're actually legit." So okay, I, I I I give up. You're you're a business partner now. Let's do it. And um, so so that's just me being naive and not knowing who he was. But uh, after I did, did actually real research on him, I was like, wow, this guy is like really, really uh, a great brand ambassador if he really wanted to be. And so uh, what he brings to Carne is he's going to be uh, promoting it uh, once we open. And, you know, his, his face and name will be directly associated with it. And he's just there to make sure that you know, Carne represents everything that he represents, which is, you know, great Asian cuisine and great food great service, great experience. And he knew, he also knew that Texas and Houston specifically was kind of lacking something like carne. And that's why he really wanted to be involved with it. Yeah. I, I saw that he just moved to Dallas
0: and he, he went to pecan lodge, uh, one of the more famous barbecue places in Dallas and said their brisket was dry, which, you know, was like the ultimate insult for a barbecue place, but it, uh, you know people are people are really engaged with what he's doing i think so it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how that kind of builds into your business but uh well it's kind of
2: funny it seems like a valuable guy to know at the, at the pop up i actually had people coming to the pop up they go oh when's mike getting here i was like oh actually <laughs> he's not going to be here and that just further proved to me like you know he has quite the following um and uh i'm just Again, just uh, out of sheer luck and just blessings, uh, I am very fortunate to have him as a business partner, even though I didn't even know his true value at the time, I do know now. And uh, I do think that that's also gonna help set Carne apart from other restaurants is his involvement.
0: All right, well, I have to say that brings me to the end of my questions. We are running a little bit long, but is there anything I haven't asked you about that you want to discuss?
2: No, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, uh, as a restaurateur, I just want customers to, you know, continue supporting restaurants, whether that's dine in or to go. And probably if, if I can ask, you know, just as a customer, please understand that every restaurant is trying their best and almost every restaurant is understaffed. And they're just, we're all trying our best just to not only give a, give a customer a great experience, but just to survive. And so just a little bit of mutual understanding, I think will go a long way. And luckily at my restaurants and uh, my businesses, we've had fabulous customers, but I know it's not the same for everyone else. So just continue to support your local businesses the best that you can. Uh, and, you know, we're all in it together as Houston. We're, we're, we're Houston strong because we support each other. And uh, that's, where, uh, that's where we are. And that's, that's the way we're going to survive and thrive. Absolutely. All right. Before I let you go, we have to play
0: the lightning round. Okay. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Great. Jason Cho, what is your favorite ingredient?
2: Garlic powder. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? God, don't ask me that. Pussycat dolls.
0: <laughs> what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through Taco Cabana. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Cable Elijah on And finally, when you go to when you order a pizza, what are your go-to toppings?
2: I just get a margarita because don't tell anybody, but I'm actually a pescatarian. Oh. <laughs> Interesting for the guy that's opening the steakhouse. All right. And on uh, place. Yes, now everyone
0: knows the secret's out. <laughs> well, you cooked me a beautiful steak on on Sunday, so I'm not I'm not gonna sweat it. Um, Jason, give us the, the website or the social media for Dak and Bob and Tom and Toms.
2: Yes, sir. So uh, you can find us on Doc and Bob. That's D-A-K-A-N-D-B-O-P, 18th. Uh, Tom and Toms Galleria is the other handle. Um, yeah, just uh, I'll give a shameless plug. If you're in, in the need of uh, martial art lessons, my, my schools are called Cho's Taekwondo Center. Been around since 78. So, you know, just doing whatever I can to service the community, the Houston community. Thanks so much
0: for doing this. All right, Eric. Appreciate the time. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on CultureMap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple podcasts, Google play and Spotify. As always, I welcome your ratings and comments. But like Katie Nolan says, only if they're five stars and only if they're nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.